Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 220. That's right, it's the X-Men again. And uh, this one was on sale October 19... October, August of 1987. And uh, the on-sale date was May 12th of 1987. Cover price is 75 cents. And this one's called Unfinished Business. And uh, as we are rapidly approaching the Fall of the Mutants, this issue is presented in full color in the Fall of the Mutants X-Men Volume Number 1 trade paperback. I'm reading it from the Fall of the Mutants full color omnibus. I imagine that that is better than the two paperbacks that I have uh, because for some reason the X-Men and the New Mutants and Hulk are in one volume and X-Factor and a bunch of other stuff, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, etc. are in a different book. But because of that, in order to read the story in chronological er um, chronological order you have to switch back and forth well i tell you it's actually not that much better because uh this present this book presents all of the x-factor stuff first in order including the hulk stuff and then i think capping off with the well, all the other garbage uh <laughs> <laughs> captain america um power pack daredevil and then in the middle of the book it switches over to all of the x-men stuff uh in, including another episode with the Hulk. And then uh, the, the last third is all the New Mutants stuff. That's really weird. They didn't even, like, so they mixed up the order even more, but still got it wrong for the Omnibus. Yeah. Huh. Okay, well, I guess uh, I guess the only thing that I've got over you is that the book that I'm holding does not weigh as much. Hmm. But mine has the, it's 1987, do you know where your ch what your children are at in it? Mine does not. It's a classic ad, though. Mine has a previously, which I can read to get viewers, viewers, uh, listeners caught up to where we are. Uh, if you'd like to read that, you may, but I believe people have already listened to our previous episodes, probably don't need that. Okay. <laughs> but but don't let me, uh, you know, rain But this goes way back. Months ago, Storm's mutant powers were accidentally stripped from her by the mutant inventor Forge. His neutralizer gun. Forge nursed the traumatized Storm back to health at Eagle Plaza, his Dallas high-rise, and the two fell in love. Well there, Storm watched a confusing holographic projection of the jungle battle, presumably Vietnam, where Forge had lost his hand and leg, interspersed with demonic figures. When Storm discovered Forge had invented the neutralizer, she rejected him and left. Soon after... Alien dire rays attacked Eagle Plaza, and although the X-Men saved Forge, a malevolent force secretly possessed his mentor, the Cheyenne medicine man Nas. Or Najee. Well, in this book, it's Nas because it's spelled N-A-Z. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, may, they, they may have made a mistake there. I also have that previously in my paperback. It goes on. Yeah. There's more. There's a lot more. Yeah, I can read the rest of it. No, the, the, that, that's all that's relevant to this episode, really. Uh, they got attacked by the Marauders. I'm kidding. Um, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Stuff about Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> it's... As far as covers go, issue number 220 here, uh, it's it's okay. Uh, you got Forge kind of dangling from a, a whole lot of wires. Uh, he's limp and drooling. And in the background, you've got Storm opening a door going, Forge, you coward, show your face. I want my powers back now. It reminds me of one of those like 1940s romance magazines oh, where kinda. you have like a character in the foreground and then a character in the background shouting something about like, 
Johnny, you coward, show your face. But he's dead. That seems more like EC horror to me. Yeah, this is like a super dark version of that. Okay. Yeah, the, this is the EC ver, uh, horror version of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that you've mentioned that, I like the cover a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we uh, This is, though, our first taste, I believe, of uh, Sylvester and Green on a cover. The Sylvester and Green package. Yeah, and as we open it up, we find out it's it's the first issue of Mark Silvestri and Dan Green together again at last for the first time or something. Chris Claremont's the writer, uh, Glennis Oliver's the colorist, Tom Orzakowski's the letter, and Ascenti's the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And uh, there are two eagles flying above the mountains. One is a mohawk, so it's clearly Forge and Storm. <laughs> this, this, this bit made no sense to me so i'll let you describe it because i thought it was just stupid i don't know i mean they're just flying around and uh, the eagles uh, they 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 love then 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 one of them turns into a cyborg and kills the other one um i i guess it's supposed to be like an analogy for what happened between forge and storm but that's not the order that it happened in uh it's an analogy i guess i mean it didn't happen i, I don't even I don't know. Unless it did happen. If it did happen, that's kind of cool that there's like a robotic eagle out there killing uh, mohawked other eagles. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, this this never reoccurs. So this is just a, it's a little vignette in the, in, in the realm of imagination. Yeah. Who's, whose imagination is this? Is this storm? Is this? Well, so then we cut to the realm of reality and standing on a mountain peak is Wolverine. So maybe it's Wolverine's <laughs> imagination. So maybe he was the eagle in the uh, Mohawk and Lady Deathstrike was the eagle with that turned into a cyber eagle. Nah, the way I look at it is that Wolverine heard the story from Storm and he's like, that's a really heartbreaking story. And when I sit on a mountain, I'm going to think about it, but I'm going to portray you guys as eagles. Do you think... Uh, Wolverine imagines everything that has happened to him in his life through the through the imaginary eagles. Uh, imaginary animals of some kind, not necessarily always eagles. I think it's always eagles. Remember that time Kitty and I went to Japan as a bunch of eagles? It was like two eagles circling Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, so that that does happen. Uh, an, an alliteration for their uh, romance, I guess, to catch up a new listener. And maybe, I don't know, Alan Silvestri was like, I want to draw eagles, Chris. Chris was like, all right, whatever. Wait, who's Alan Silvestri? I mean, mean Mark Silvestri? <laughs> I mean, Mark Silvestri. <laughs> I'm getting my, who's, I'm getting my Alan, I'm getting my artist confused. Alan Davis, but oh, okay. he's not involved in this at all. <laughs> <laughs> so never mind. Uh, anyways, Wolverine is upset that Storm has interrupted his daydreaming about Forge and Storm Eagles, and he pops his claws and says, leave me alone. If I wanted company, darling, I'd have left word where I was, and he smashes a rock with his claws. And then he grabs Storm, and he's still got his claws out in a threatening manner. And he's like, how'd you find me? <laughs> yeah, he pops in his claws after that, after she says, I know you, Logan, better than you think. And this is, we get why Wolverine's on edge. He mentions about how he doesn't know himself anymore, not in a way that really matters, referring back to all of the uh, sense stuff that has happened to him. Malice uh, and, and some of the, him not trusting his senses when he's smelling things. Actually, let's go back to the previously to give us a little, a bit of the idea. 
Okay. And previously it says, Wolverine, still unaware that Marvel Girl was not dead, caught her sense several times and became confused and withdrawn, distrustful of his enhanced senses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, this previously is sure coming in handy. It sure is. Well, Storm says that since Forge took her powers, maybe he can give her powers back to her. And also, as a mutant with no powers, she's maybe not the most effective leader, but she could be a much more effective leader if she had her powers. And in this time of need, she has to put bygones aside and beg if she has to in order to get her powers back from Forge. Uh, she knows it's a slim chance, a slim hope, better better than none at all. But uh, yeah, she's 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 going to disappear for a while. And in her leave, she needs somebody to shepherd the X-Men through the for sure tough times ahead. And she feels that Wolverine is the best qualified for that job. Not my style being boss, especially the way I'm feeling. Like a non-boss. <laughs> Storm grabs him by the collar and says, Blast it, Wolverine, you'll lead the X-Men if I have to force you to do it. I do this because I, it is necessary, because I am needed, Logan, as are you. I'm telling you, I'm not up for that. Whatever, I'll do it fine. You're making a mistake, <laughs> but whatever. Let's go. <laughs> he suggests Psylocke lead the team. That's, that's a terrible idea. She just joined. That would be, it was like, yeah, she'd why be, would even say? <laughs> she'd just show up and be like, I'm Psylocke and I have bionic eyes and telepathic ability. They tell everyone. I'm Betsy Braddock. Everybody calls me Psylocke. I'm a telepath by design. I psychic knives. Well, she doesn't even have. Does she no, have psychic knives? Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, psychic butterflies. Yeah, yeah. She got butterfly face. That's about it. So, uh, with that taken care of, four days later, Storm finds herself at Eagle Plaza, where once again it is raining, just like it was the last time she was here. She hated Forge that day. Does she still? Easy to answer before we meet again. But then, what do I fear most? Failure or success? She enters the building. The building is empty, and uh, there's dust on the counter. Security system's turned off. Looks like nobody's been here in ages. She picks up the phone to call upstairs, and the phone is dead. There's a building condemnation notice. The building is condemned, presumably. Apparently, the government contracts dried up, and now they're going to tear down Forge's building. Seems like a waste of a building. It does. You could put a bank in there or something. It's a really nice building. It's huge, too. So she uh, she's going to go snoop around and see if she can find any clues to this mystery, find out where he went so she can get her powers back. She's going to take the stairs, Ghostbusters style. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, upstairs, I think. A, yeah. She's... Yeah. A quarter mile above where she is, uh, we see Naze uh, meditating. Yeah. He's, I don't know, praying to the fire god or something. He's commuting with the spirit lands, far removed from the human plane of existence. As always, they reply. Fire is going all over the place. And in the fire, the images of Storm and Forge appear. And that's when Naze is like, excellent, she's come, as I knew she would. I must prepare her the most fitting of welcomes. And I would imagine that the previously, does that tell us that he was like possessed by a dire wraith yeah i read that bit. okay all right i wasn't paying attention okay that's the part <laughs> where i got to naz okay so when i was reading x-men uh i started as i've mentioned many times uh, around issue 217 and uh i never really read the life death stories because they looked boring 
<laughs> because I was a stupid kid. And so all of the stuff that surrounds Naze was a complete mystery to me. Did you realize he was a bad guy? Well, he's obviously a bad guy, but I didn't know that he was a good guy at one point. Oh, I suppose he does look very sinister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't know what was up with that because I don't, maybe I just wasn't paying attention or reading captions, but I don't feel like they, since the life death stories uh, and the diorite stories, I don't think they've clearly said like, by the way, he's bad. He's, I guess he's possessed. Yeah, he's possessed. By a secret malevolent force. But I feel like most comic books would be like, uh, you know, the, the helpful editor would be like, as many of you recall, in issue 188, he was possessed. Yeah, it's strange that they don't have that. No, I mean, that's fine. It's, it's, it's better that way. Or even like as last seen in 188, so you could go dig it up yourself mm-hmm. or whatever number it was. Yeah. Anyhow, so she's walking around. She's... Uh, She's in kind of that that area that she was in where the floors were like invisible and stuff. She calls it the eagle's nest. And um, this is like a nightmare. It's everything is floating. There's no walls or banisters or railings or anything. So at least nothing's invisible here. You can see everything. But man, I wouldn't be able to walk up there. How does this make any sense? Well, he's uh, it's Forge. He is an inventor. So, like, everything's kind of floating? Repulsors from Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> and so she makes her way up, and she continues to think uh, to herself. She's wondering where the maker's gone when she hears the faint sounds of somebody saying, Help me! Yeah, and she she goes outside, because uh, it's on, on the like a patio or something, to see who it is. And it's it's raining heavily outside, and... This reminds her way back to that previous issue of Life Death where she, as she mentioned before, it was raining. And then she sees that the the person is, well, it's Forge, but it's also Forge talking to uh, Storm. So I think it was Storm that was saying, help me. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. She says a voice, a woman is someone else here. And it's it's her, but from the last time she was here. And they're ignoring her. And it's kind of like they're holograms because she sticks her hand through Forge. Yeah. Replaying the events of months ago. So it's Storm. She's got her overalls on. I'm sure I commented about them in the last issue or, you know, however long ago that was. And then some things explode uh, because we're seeing the replay of the Vietnam War. Yeah, somebody turned on all of the holograms in the uh, the area that they're in. So some of the panel, like floor panels disappear and... Um, uh, I think she, at some point she comments that even though the power was out down below, somebody somehow the power up here has retained itself. And she's also, now that the floor and stairs have disappeared, she's commenting to herself about how she uh, memorized their layout. So she's not worried about falling. It's a good thing the last time she was there, she remembered yes. uh, the layout of the platforms. Yes. Some lasers are shooting her. Uh, she's dodging, doing flips and rolls and stuff. And so she shouts out, she thinks that Forge is defending himself maybe from an attack. So she's like, Forge, listen, do you not hear me? This is Storm. I mean, you no harm. I only want to talk. Yeah. She hears a voice and she recognizes it as Forge's voice, but he sounds awful. It's, this is private property. You stay, you die. You stay, you die. You stay, you die. Now she's seeing images of herself when she first joined the X-Men with her old costume and long flowing hair, and then as she is today, and then when she got shot by the uh, power neutralizer. How does he have holograms of when she joined the X-Men? It's Forge. He just he 
he he read the X-Men's files and extrapolated the best approximation he could with holograms. But how did he read the X-Men's files? He because they're not on the internet. <laughs> well, they're on ForgeNet. <laughs> I, I think they're in a filing cabinet in the professor's office. Oh, no, 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 Adam. Don't you remember? Cyclops would sit at Cyberno and it would go beep, beep, beep. That computer was where the professor put all the files. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, they're also in a filing cabinet, but they're also on the computer. That computer took like name tabs. There was no way that it could take the amount of information in a file. Well, they added like an expansion of name tags, <laughs> like lots of them. It's basically the entire office now. So those name tags were actually super complicated microchips. Y- yeah, absolutely. With like, with like tons of data and information in them. About the, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one on everybody. Everybody the professor's ever met. Everybody that the X-Men have ever met is in there. So that was actually a super complicated interface that recognized the microchips. And it was labeled Magneto only for the person that was actually like putting it into the machine. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm glad you're following along. We just... We just made the 1960s X-Men so much more cool. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, yeah, I don't know. She's getting distracted by all of this, and she ends up getting clipped by a laser and falling. She falls. Luckily, she uh, doesn't fall too far. She falls on another invisible platform. Uh, she makes her way into the kitchen and sees more of Forge's conversation with Storm in the, from the kitchen. She's wearing the the beautiful dress that he comments on, and then they're drinking champagne, which I guess is the first time Storm's ever had champagne. Yeah, it's where she gets kind of tipsy, and I think this is where they kiss for the first time or something. I don't remember. Yes. She pours some herself some wine as long as she's in the kitchen, and she realizes that it's it's long ago turned to vinegar. She leaves into the the pool area where she sees Forge and storm swimming together and she enters into i believe what is forge's main office type thing his neural network if you will where she sees uh various versions of her uh some that are from forge's imagination presumably because they're not versions of her that she's ever been mm-hmm. he's obsessed or somebody has made him obsessed but nevertheless, when she flips it off, she hears a loud, No! What have you done? And she turns around and she sees Forge hooked up to a big machine with all the wires and cables, much like we saw on the cover of this issue. And he follows that up by saying, Where is my love? Where is my heart? You had no right to take her away. Bring her back! She says, Open your eyes, Forge. The real woman stands before you. But he does not see her. He just wants Aurora back. Yeah, he's, he approaches her and he's pulling all these wires as he's getting up off of his throne as he crawls toward her. It's kind of zombie-like. Bring her back, I say, or I'll kill you. Storm goes to push him. Keep your distance, man, or maker, or my hand. He also is an illusion. Illusions within illusions within illusions. I know, right? And that's why Naze shows up and all cool in the background. He's like, hey, been a while, Windrider. No, he says, it's been a while. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and she says, Naze. And she turns around and says, Creed. That's right. The seasons have been good to... No, that was stained. Oh, was it? Yeah. That sh- shows what I know. <laughs> They're all the same to me. It's all yeah, exactly. 90s alt rock. She turns around and she says, the seasons have been good to you, shaman. <laughs> She turns around and says, hey, third eye blind, how's your blind melon? Uh, 
Let's see who else. Uh, uh, uh Limp Bizkit. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't remember anybody else. Soup Dragons weren't they a band? Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Soup cans. <laughs> Uh, Can Dragons. Who's the band that sang Little Miss, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong? Oh my God, that's like the Spin Doctors. Yeah, the Spin. Hey, Spin Doctor, she says. What about uh, Seven Mary Blind or whatever yeah, that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Three Mary Seven. Yeah. <laughs> who is who did who sang the Rooster? Oh, I don't know who that did. Uh, Allison Chains. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're actually like a fairly popular real band. <laughs> well, they're all real bands. Allison Chains is probably the best out of the list that I just brought out. Is Alice and Jane's guy dead? I can't remember. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the 90s. Yeah. How you killed off everyone. Well, I mean, he, it was just like a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Shows what I know. Yeah. In any event, uh, she she's like, the, the, the seasons have been good to you, Shaman. And he's like, yeah, you look pretty good yourself. You're looking pretty Jake yourself, <laughs> he says, which I don't know what that means, but I guess it must be all right. Adam, don't you remember the 80s when we'd all wander around the school hallway saying, dude, you're looking pretty Jake. <laughs> and then Jake would be like, what? Oh, oh God uh, damn it. <laughs> nobody's talking to me. <laughs> Nobody ever says, Jake, you're looking pretty Jake. <laughs> Nobody likes Jake. And she's like, what are you doing here? She's like, I'm looking for my boy. So is he Forge's father, spiritual father, chief? Something like that? I, I think he's just his mentor. Okay. According to the previously, it's just his mentor. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah, they've been he's been hanging around here for a couple of weeks trying to figure out where Forge is. And uh, then, yeah, then you showed up. Because she's like, this is a pretty good coincidence. And he admits that he set all of the holograms' defenses against her just to see if he she still had her edge. And... She walks out on him. The devil take you, old man. Go to Hades. <laughs> you go to Hades and you die. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh, well, you listen, I didn't monkey with his blame toys. I just turned him on. You saw for yourself the kind of state he was in. So he's saying that all of the stuff, the Vietnam, all the weird storm stuff, that was all Forge's doing. He merely turned the power switch on. He was living in that state. Yeah. And then he calls her a stupid cow. Yeah, he's not winning any words with these. <laughs> I mean, it's like how do, if he's trying to convince Storm of something, he's not doing a very good job. Yeah. Uh, stupid cow, are you truly such a fool? This has everything to do with you. You're the cause. Aurora Forge loved you, and he loved nothing and no one in his life. You destroyed him. Did you just call me a cow? <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't know if that's a Marvel Comics thing or a Chris Claremont thing, but uh, lots of women get called cows. I think it's actually a Chris Claremont thing, although I think it would probably spawn other. Yeah, I think like uh, what uh, da, 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 Joss Whedon run has it in it, too. Oh, but that's just got to be like a callback. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine that the response is really you just called me a cow. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think that was the thing, but OK. By creating the weapon that banished your mutant powers, that destroyed him and tore out his heart. Child ravaged his soul. And she says, no less than he betrayed me. And she's still trying to walk out. And he's like, why did you even bother coming back if you're just going to leave again? And they, they argue for a little while. And he uh, ultimately says he's lost somewhere. He's lost, he lost more than his leg in hand, uh, in hand in Vietnam. He lost his Cheyenne soul. Others tried to take his place. Not even bones are left of them. 
if Forge in his madness has been claimed by the adversary, mm-hmm. who who is some sort of evil guy, we have to find him. Trained from the cradle to combat the adversary. So it's it's sort of a, uh, he's like the chosen one or something. A being so foul and deadly powerful, his name dare not be spoken. Oh, so his name's not the adversary. No. It's Voldemort. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> by doing so, you give him entry to your own soul and dominion over it. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just want to leave. Yeah. I saved your life, Windrider. Remember, now I'm calling in that debt. You almost just killed me. (laughs) Or just tried to kill me. You almost just tried to kill me with your stupid holograms. Forge is like the eagle, the wind that helps him. Oh, so this is the alliteration that goes back to the beginning of the comic. The wind that helps him fly can also strike him down. I mean, it's not a very good alliteration. No, it's it's terrible. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So maybe maybe it was the adversary that took over that eagle. Oh, and turned it into Forge and Storm just because? Yeah. <laughs> okay. T- turned it into the cyber eagle. Oh, okay. Uh, the wind's blowing her back. This is madness. Do the elements bend to Naz's will as they did mine? No. I move when I choose. I will not be forced. Or forged. Or forged, yeah. By anything or anyone. I can't do this alone. I wish I could, Naze says, but I'm too old. I need your help. I beg you. And then suddenly the rain goes away. And Well, not the... suddenly, because I think she's been standing here this whole time, because then it says, dawn. And with the sunrise, the breaking of the storm. Yeah, I was a little confused by this. I, I um, guess she's been standing there all night pushing against the wind. Finally, she gave up, and then the rain cleared up. She's like, oh, for God's sakes. Hey, look, I see Forge in those clouds. All right, Naze, I'll help you. <laughs> she does see Forge in the clouds, and then he slowly becomes a madman in the clouds. Forge looks down and says, Mufasa. <laughs> or wait, no. <laughs> Simba, avenge me. The life of my foster son is lost. Oh, foster son, in quotes, is lost, Aurora. But there's still a chance to save his spirit. So I guess Forge is dead? What the whites would consider his soul. A great battle, Windrider, a necessary one. Please stand beside me. And she finally says, I shall. And then he has a sinister, uh, Naze has a sinister look on his face as he looks towards us and says, you made the right choice, the only choice. Against the pair of us, my beauty, poor Forge ain't got a prayer. So I guess Forge is dead and taken over by the adversary. Much like the eagle at the beginning of this issue, which reminds me that uh, Silvestri would go on to draw Cyberforce, and uh, he really liked drawing all this cyber stuff, like right from the beginning. What's Cyberforce? It was like his image comic. Oh, yeah. And it had like more of this cyber stuff. Like he really likes all of this kind of metallic chicanery. Oh, good for him. That's cool, though. It's cool that he's like, this is his thing. Yeah, he's experimenting. It's cool. Next, the Marauders return, and two X-Men faced death by drowning. Lies. Drowning being the only way you can kill Wolverine, so I hope it's not Wolverine. (laughs) Oh, so all in all, um, not one of my favorite issues. Well, it's more of a flashback issue, like... It's 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 a lot of stuff that we already saw catching us up to where Chris Claremont wants us to be. Okay, so you think maybe it's more of like a refresher for the longtime reader and a I don't know a flashback for the new reader. For yeah, because I'm, I'm assuming that like there's a lot of new readers every month, and who knows how many ep- issues ago that life death story was. 
Well, we're on like 220. It was like 40 issues ago. So assume, I don't know, 12, 13 issues a year. I mean, that was, you know, three and a half years ago. That means a 15-year-old is now 18 and a 10-year-old is now 13. So you've lost readers and you've gained readers probably. Yeah. So so this is like a refresher course and it's kind of like setting up the next phase of whatever the stories are going to be about. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I buy that. I guess you it's sort of it's one of your filler issues, but it's 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 got a direction towards it. Yeah. Um, again, I don't hate it. Uh, and for for I mean, I guess you're right, because for a long time, this was the only way that I knew life death and the only way that I knew of how Storm had lost her powers. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Point taken. But when you're reading them all chronologically, this this becomes one of those issues where you're like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I I wonder if Chris Claremont ever really like he he was thinking month by month by month and kind of year by year. I don't I, I don't imagine he was ever really thinking about this will be great when the reader binges this. Uh, no, absolutely not. And I also think that to a certain degree, uh, both he and Louis Simonson are kind of padding their runs out for the upcoming summer event. Yeah, yeah, it sort of feels like that. Yeah. So bringing back some old stories, setting us up for the next big event. Um, So there's going to be some good stuff coming up and then some kind of, (laughs) let's move it along here. All right. Uh, But anyways, yeah. Tune in for that. It sounds riveting. (laughs) Uh, We did get a little bit of uh, communication. Well, we're still catching up with uh, our backlog, our mailbag, if you will. And uh, we got a couple long emails here. Um, One is from John Aaron. Some thoughts on our last few episodes. So this goes way back to the Mutant Massacre. Uh, And he says that what's bugged him about the Marauders, aside from the lack of explanation for their motives, which is something that you and I have talked about, is that they didn't really seem formidable enough to slaughter hundreds of superhumans, particularly given the habit of throwing away the advantage of surprise by announcing, we are the marauders and we kill mutants before they attack. Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) I always said they were dumb. Yeah. Uh, Again, I kind of look at it through the, I don't know, 12, 13-year-old eyes. And, you know, I mean, mutants were dying. So to me, like, this was serious. But upon rereading it, you're like, okay, (laughs) I see. Yeah, I'm sure as a kid, it was more of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Of the 10 Marauders, Riptide, Harpoon, Prism were the only ones whose powers were deadly uh, from more than an arm's length away. Scalp Hunter had his weapons and Sabretooth had at least uh, useful as a tracker. But why would a team of killers include Scramble, whose powers not only didn't work unless he touches you, but even weren't fatal. About half the Marauders were would literally have been more dangerous if they'd have been ordinary humans with guns. Actually, you know what? We have um, we have a we can we have a sort of a different perspective on like comics from the '80s because we've been reading comics since the '80s, and the stories have gotten uh, more realistic, uh, more detailed. Um, so maybe a, a reader, not even necessarily a kid back in the day saw this and they were they were seeing things that they never really seen before which is like a ton of people get killed in a comic book and so maybe uh it had the strength of of newness about it well i mean there's certainly something groundbreaking about about it first of all it's it's one of the first not the first but one of the first 
kind of Marvel Universe expanding events that touches not just X books, but other uh, comic books in the universe. Uh, and, and so there's that aspect. And then you've also got the, the, you know, like this, this just got real, like Colossus who has been on the team forever is now in a coma. Kitty is can't solidify. Nightcrawler is in a coma. Right. Which I imagine if you're experiencing that for the first time, you're like, whoa, this is really different than the last 30 issues. Right. Because the last 30 issues, it's monster of the week and the good guys always win. So right. in that respect, it's it's uh, ground a little bit groundbreaking. Uh, the best part here, uh, I appreciate. And next, how did the Marauders get around? In one of the early Mar- massacre issues, it's mentioned that the Marauders follow the Morlock Tommy across the country. Blah uh, blah blah. Oh, and he says, I think this is later retconned to involve Gambit. I've not read that, but I've heard that, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but I believe that every time we see them before, during, and after the massacre, they're on foot. Do they have a marauder mobile that's somewhere off panel always? And I really somebody hope that they to, do. Somebody, somebody needs to draw a marauder mobile, and it needs to be able to hold all of the character, all of the marauders. I'm envisioning like a '70s hot rod of some kind with all of the marauders in various locations throughout that hot rod. With, um, I mean, uh, so. Um, Scalp Hunter's kind of at the top most with his guns all over the place. I don't know where anybody else is, and I don't know who's driving. <laughs> For some reason, I think it'd be really funny if um, Sabretooth was dry- driving. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I, like, kind of hunched over a steering wheel, like, shut up, guys. <laughs> and then the rest of the Marauders, I don't know, at various locations throughout the truck. So, or, or Hot Rod. So, artists out there that are our listeners, we we implore you, we beg of you, to create uh, for this letter for this podcast the Marauder Mobile because it's not been done yet. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, y- you do it. We'll feature it on our Facebook page. I don't know, but it'll be awesome. We'll feature it on all the pages. <laughs> all the pages will contain the Marauder Mobile. Uh, and let's see. Uh, originally read that Claremont planned for the Masterbird to carry it out by the Sentinel from the future Nimrod. That would have been that would have been maybe more interesting. Wait, yeah. I mean, Nimrod sort of disappears for a while, so. And uh, yeah, uh, two seventeen to two eighteen were among uh, his first comics. Uh, they were the introduction to the character Juggernaut. Um, here's a superpower physics problem which occurred to him as a kid while reading the Juggernaut versus Dazzler chase sequence in 217. Why can't Juggernaut or Colossus or the Thing, etc. jump like the Hulk? In fact, if my math is right, then using Juggy's strength and weight stats in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, lifting 100 tons, weighing 900 pounds, in a single 45-degree jump, he should be able to cover at least 950 meters at a speed of 215 miles per hour. My explanation is that they simply just didn't think of it. (laughs) Uh, of course, there's a very long list of scientific problems with superpowers, but, you know, this is one of the inconsistencies that's very glaring to to John. Um, yeah. I, too, originally thought that Juggernaut was slamming Rogue with his chest in 218. So do you remember that, Adam? Yeah. It I just kind of looked like he was yeah. chest bumping Rogue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was odd. Um, okay. The, uh, the, the Hulk really works out his leg muscles, and he kind of focuses on that. Whereas the thing, Colossus and Juggernaut, they're more focused on the upper body, mm-hmm. and uh, so they haven't they haven't quite you know developed that strength. Is that acceptable? Totally. So Hulk's all about squats, and uh, everybody else is up up in the arm region. 
Because and from a creative standpoint, you have the Hulk like pounding through the air, and it's kind of awesome. If everybody was doing that, it wouldn't be as awesome. Yeah, it'd just be like a Marvel universe full of heroes jumping all, all over the place. Yeah, I think in the original run of Superman, wasn't he not flying, but he was just leaping really far? In fact, wasn't that the the tagline? Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And then he then it turned into flying. Yeah. Uh, Brian Willett, he writes us and he says that he finished episode 244. So like we said, we're a little bit behind. Great commentary. He dug out his copy of issue number 218 and looked, uh, studiously followed along and, uh, noticed a few things. Uh, as much as he has enjoyed the fill-ins by Davis and Barry Windsor Smith, the Sylvester run is indeed the bee's knees. I think we all agree on that. Well, the three of us. Well, <laughs> The opening scene of 218 with Alex and Lorna being run off the road is revisited about 15 issues later. Yep. And he and is totally uh, disjointing as far as continuity and time placement. Also, the shark is revealed to be a fair bit bigger, although nowhere uh, close to the typical star shark. Um, it is a weird thing. On the one hand, I appreciate how early Chris Claremont plants that story. But on the other hand, he doesn't get back to it for like a really long time. Like, I would say it's probably two years later that he finally gets back to it. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if he loses track of what he is doing and, like, had intentions to get back to things quicker. Right. And just kind of, like, because he's juggling so many balls, he loses track of some of them. Could be. I don't know. Speaking of uh, continuity, the monthly Marvel checklist on page 20 indicates Avengers versus X-Men number three is being published concurrently with 218. We kind of already talked about uh, the publishing and where and the, the stories chronology. actually take place. And I think we figured it out, right? Like AVX happens between 219 and 220. Who knows? Uh, yeah, doesn't matter. But I think we kind of worked all that out. And then finally, some perspective. This is probably my favorite blurb of the whole email uh, on the emergent technology of home video in the 80s. On page 7, there's a Galaxy Rangers VHS tape for $14.95. Uh, only one episode is included per tape, so theoretically, if a kid wanted a complete series of Galaxy Ranger on VHS, 65 total episodes, he would have to fork over $972 for some VHS tapes. And if you account for inflation in 2018, that would be over $2,000. I feel this reminds me of how many Star Trek VHS tapes I bought that had like two episodes on each and were probably like $25 per cassette. <laughs> oh, it just makes me so sad. Well, at least with the Star Trek The Next Generation, you got two probably 48 minute episode. So you're, you're close to the two hour mark. Um, granted $25 yeah. for two hours is probably not the best deal. No, but 15 <laughs> bucks for a, probably what amounts to a 22 minute episode. Oof. Yeah. Um, it, it almost made me want to see if galaxy Rangers is out there on YouTube. Oh, probably. Is. I mean, it's gotta be like, um, public domain slash, uh, what abandoned IP? Yeah, if if nobody like gathered up the IP and released a DVD, then it probably is on YouTube. <laughs> uh, and a part of me, you know, because there were a lot of those weirdo things that you never saw on TV, but you saw advertised in comic books. Um, that uh, one of them, do you remember? Uh, God, was it Captain Power? It was like a show that you you bought like a corresponding spaceship and guy. I could swear we've talked about Captain Power before, but yeah, I I, I, I totally remember remember shooting at the TV yeah, screen. Yeah, and you shot at the TV, and the TV shot back, supposedly, and if uh, the correct signal hit the ship, then, like, your guy ejected out of the 
the plane. Which really, you're watching the show. The only thing you want to have happen is for your ship to explode. <laughs> so you're just like holding it in front of the TV, like, please, please, please. Well, you're like shooting at stuff, but like, I don't know what the point of shooting at things were because it wasn't going to affect the plot of the show. No. Um, and I recall I rented one of those tapes from a grocery store, but I didn't have the action figure of the ship. Uh, and I watched the episode. I think part of me was like wondering if I didn't have the ship, if like the show would just do nothing. I mean, <laughs> it was the mid eighties and I was young. I I don't remember anything that happened in any of those shows. Cause I was too busy shooting at the screen. I, I don't want to blow your mind or anything, Adam, but I didn't have the ship and the show carried on anyways. Oh, I, I know. I'm not saying I'm not saying that the show didn't go. It's just I, I wasn't paying attention to oh, the plot because oh, oh, okay, okay. I was too busy shooting at robots. <laughs> Actually, I didn't even have those toys. I, I think it was I was borrowing them from a friend, which is oh. how I, I was so poor. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't we all? That's how I got all my toys. <laughs> just, hey, Jimmy, come over. I want to play with your toys. And you just steal a couple. These are so cool. <laughs> Goodbye, Jimmy. I think I'm going to take <laughs> one of these. Can I borrow this? And he signs this letter, Close Shave Xavier, which I think is a reference to how I pronounce Professor Xavier. I think he is the person who originally brought up the fact that you pronounce it Xavier. Probably. Xavier? Xavier. Xavier. I can't even do it the way you do it. You don't say Xavier. I do now. <laughs> Ex-shaver. Ex-shaver. Ethan Wright wrote to us on our webpage, and he says he's been listening and reading along with us. He's really enjoyed the show. Uh, he's currently on X-Men number 142, which is the Days of Future Past. So much more fun to listen to you guys than just binge read. In the immortal words of Wolverine, I've got to scoot. Greetings from the Days of Future Past. In the future. Or or your past, somebody's past. In the present? In Greetings in the present, your present, our past, someone's future. And we got tweeted by Excalibros, which is a fantastic name for a podcast that covers Excalibur. Check it out. Which is awesome. And also Exiles, apparently. Do you know what this means, Adam? That when we get to Excalibur, I'm just going to be like, and this week in Excalibur, go listen to Excalibros. <laughs> no, we'll just steal their audio. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just cut it up and like, here's five minutes of Excalibros. And we'll like, we'll speed it up so that like, we'll somehow get out of the copyright and it'll go really fast. And then people <laughs> listening can slow it down if they want to actually hear what happens. It's it's only going to be like a thirty second segment this week in Excalibur or Ex, this week in Excalibur, and then you can slow it down on your own. Actually, uh, I mean, by the time we get to Excalibur, I mean, I would imagine these guys will be on like episode fifty, so it'll be like new content for people. Yeah, that's true. So, with that being said, Excalibros, if you want to like edit your issue by issue uh, commentary, if that's what you're doing, I I I, I guess I'm presupposing uh, into manageable bits Th that saves us a lot of work, and we could feature your manageable bits on our podcast, and somehow that's cross uh, advertising. I feel weird about handling someone's manageable bits. <laughs> well, we only do it for Excalibros. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, they are at Excalibros 1. Uh, so go check them out because we're not touching Excalibur for eh, a little while. Yeah, a little bit. But we'll get there. 
one of these days. So there you go. That's that's what we got. If you'd like to join in on the fun, you may do so at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, at Danger Room Go, or email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, go into the podcast section, type in Danger Room, or the first podcast that shows up, or you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And as always, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Woo! Yep, or doodle. Um, I read X Factor. How was it? I, I I have a complaint about this issue. Okay. This is the issue where, for me, Cyclops goes past the point of being an entertaining character to annoying. Yeah, he's uh, he's super mopey um, about <laughs> almost killing Gene last issue, which, you know, to be fair, he did. He took his goggles off because he thought that she was the Phoenix. And to his surprise, or maybe lack thereof, his his optic blasts were held in check, but really it was Leech. So that's your, that's your catch up. So, so he's reeling from the fact that if Leech hadn't have been there, he would have blown Gene's head off. That would, you know, put a damper on things for sure. Um, but, but I, I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. I mean, so a little bit of that, like, oh my God, I can't believe what I did. I really should see somebody for some therapy because this isn't cool for like a page or two or a panel or two would have been fine. But it goes on throughout the entire issue. Like I can't lead the team because I almost killed you. Okay. I'll leave the team. I got to leave X factor after this mission. <laughs> oh, but I did so well. I'll stick around for a little bit, I guess. guess. Yeah. I'm so guilty. So, so that was about a third of the uh, issue. The other third of the issue was Iceman, uh, since he's been totally powered up by Loki, uh, flying around the city with Caliban and Beast because Cameron Hodge sent them on a mission to try to find Boom Boom. Apparently nobody believes that Iceman chased her into a closet and she disappeared. We, of course, know that she's off with the... Uh, I don't know, that other comic book that we're reading. Fallen Angels, more yeah. on that later. Yeah. And so uh, he he can't stop generating ice. So that's why he's making ice slides all over the place. And as he's doing so, he's making a mess. And everyone's like, gee, isn't that Iceman who said, judge us by our deeds? Well, I don't like these deeds. This, this issue really makes you wonder, like, if you've never wondered before about Iceman's ice slides... You really got to wonder what happens when they start collapsing. Yeah, man. Well, and they even say like, well, I feel pretty bad for the uh, the schmucks down below, uh, referring yeah. to some bunch of ice that he generates that starts melting. Uh, we also get a little bit more from, well, a lot more from Apocalypse and his three horsemen. There's a lot of infighting with them. Apocalypse wants them to be a team, but they're just fighting amongst each other, thinking that each one of their powers is more superior than the other people's powers and apocalypse is trying to say like no you guys all complement one another you need to work as a team and if you work as a team you'll be able to conquer anything and so he decides to send them off to take on x-factor in their first test and he's also talking to the wingless one who really wants his wings back but the wingless one is in shadow so we don't know who he is is anybody wonder really wondering who this is <laughs> i don't know because i feel like there's a missed opportunity here for the oh my god moment but as i read this i'm like well duh i mean in the previous issue we know that he has blonde eyebrows right so come on <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like they're 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 spoon feeding a forced mystery upon the audience, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Because 
On the one hand, he's always in shadows, but on the other hand, they he, will I get my wings back? Why are you messing with my mind? That guy doesn't yeah. have any wings. You'll get your wings soon, and with those wings, you'll be my fourth horseman, Death. Why didn't you just let me die? Oh, wait. I know someone who almost tried to kill himself. Hmm. Who yeah. could? I wonder if it's the same person. So I try to go back, and, 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 and again, I think, if I remember correctly, like I started reading X-Men and Follow the Mutants was occurring very rapidly after I started reading X-Men that somebody's like, hey, X-Factor is the old X-Men. You should read this. And so I think the first issue I read was like the first issue of Follow the Mutants in which Death shows up and it's revealed who he is. And so then when I read all of the back issues of X-Factor, I was like, hmm, I wonder if this was like a mystery. I wonder if people <laughs> were like, whoa. But then as I read as an adult, it's like, well, no, there's no mystery here. Anyways. Uh, so the um, the uh, three horsemen of Apocalypse, they, they fight uh, Gene and Cyclops and Beast and Iceman. Uh, Caliban's there, but he does nothing. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, famine, or no, Pestilence makes uh, Beast sick. Iceman uh, has to basically freeze everything because war is doing so much damage to New York City that they need to stop it. They basically encase them all in ice. Apocalypse rescues the horseman from the ice and X-Factor rescues a very sick beast and a chunk of Iceman out of his glacier that he's created in Central Park. And all the humans are just like, well, if these D's are by mutants, I don't like mutants. And X-Factor's like, ooh, that Cameron Hodge, when we find him, he's in trouble. Because he took off. So by the end of this issue, Cyclops has kind of turned around and I hope that this was it. <laughs> we're done mm-hmm. yeah we're, we're done with brooding cyclops mm, no no this is where okay they... we're done with with guilt-ridden cyclops uh, I don't... no <sighs> we're, we're never getting out of this we will but then it'll come back like twofold i think <laughs> i don't remember but but yeah this is definitely where brooding cyclops gets turned up to 11 yeah so that that was so distracting for me from this issue that the, the 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 last half of the issue I thought was pretty good, yeah. Um, but just leading up to it, I was just like, "Ugh, come on, Cyclops!" I left my wife and I left my baby, and they died. And I almost killed you, Gene. And then and then I was with you, and you almost died. It doesn't seem like I can be anywhere without somebody dying. I should just go be by myself. And then he says like the most horrible things like better if you guys were all part of the Phoenix. <laughs> and Gene's all like, oh, Cyclops, it was Cameron Hodge messing with your mind. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, would you get over that Phoenix thing? Seriously. Like I'm here. Me. Uh, the art by Walt Simonson is terrific, though, especially in this omnibus. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a Simonson and Simonson joint. And yeah, um, yeah, it's good. It, I mean, other than the mopiness, um, the art is definitely quality and, uh, the writing towards the back half, as you say, is also pretty good. Uh, in fallen angels four, the writing is not very good. I started trying to read this and I was like, <laughs> I, I'm Adam will do this cause I can't read this. This is pretty much a filler issue. Um, it's a six-part miniseries. How can it be a filler issue? It's an eight-part miniseries oh. that should have been a six-part miniseries. <laughs> sure it shouldn't have been four? Maybe it could have been four. I don't know. Okay. Uh, the Fallen Angels are in a uh, prehistoric dinosaur world that Ariel brought them to. Uh, Chance and Ariel have a 
I'm not even going to explain the plot. These are the takeaways. Chance and Ariel have a secret from the rest of the team. Boom Boom has a crush on Jamie Madrax, and Roberto and Warlock meet Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. Ooh. And that, that, that's all that really happens. The rest of it is all shenanigans. Vanisher has some humorous shenanigans. It's not really going anywhere. If if half of the New Mutants are missing, then what's actually going on in the New Mutants? Well, in New Mutants 55, uh, Chris Claremont stopped writing. What? So, yeah, he, he gave up in, in number 54. He was like, Louise Simonson, you're doing pretty good with the X-Factor stuff. You take this. Oh, I wonder if Chris Claremont's getting ready to write a new book. I believe, um, well, he writes Exterminators, doesn't he? But that's like a... That's a four-part miniseries, and that happens... That's a, that's a four-part miniseries, but he, is also, he also wrote that X-Men Fantastic Four four-part miniseries, so maybe he's just writing all these four-part miniseries. Oh, well, Exterminators is during Inferno. I was referring to maybe he's gearing up for Excalibur. Oh, okay. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't he also write Conan for a while or something? I, I just made that up. I Yeah, no, I don't know. If it's not X-related, I have no idea that if he wrote it or not. It is, and maybe he's doing that uh, book that he co-wrote with George Lucas. What was that? Remember that? No. I, I didn't read it, but I know, I remember there were adver- advertisements for a new story by Chris Claremont and George Lucas. Was that Tech War? No, that was by William Shatner. I know, but still. It was I, neither of those people. <laughs> I, wanted to, I just wanted to reference Tech War. I read Tech War. I, it wasn't bad. I don't think William Shatner actually wrote it. I think it was just like a yeah. lot of his ideas and then a ghost I think writer. it was like ghost written. Yeah. The, the second Tech War book, and I think I read like four of them. I think the second one was my favorite one. Wow. I don't know what it was called. Tech Lab. Tech yeah. Face. <laughs> tech everything yeah anyways what's going on well who's so louise simonson's reading new mutants what's going on um brett blevins is have we have we encountered brett blevins he's he's arting it he's not my favorite he especially draws a terrible cannonball we've definitely had some brett blevins okay uh, the new moons are getting ready for a big Lila cheney party as uh, i'm sorry i'm sure you mean to say Lila cheney Oh, perhaps I do. <laughs> and uh, Cannonball can't decide what he wants to wear. Um, this is the first time that Rain starts mentioning Reverend Craig a lot. I, he, she, has she mentioned him before? Is I feel like she has once or twice. Reverend Craig, the person from like New Mutants number one or the special edition New Mutants that was like raising her, but then said she was like de- demon possessed. Maybe. There was a Reverend in Scotland. But maybe that wasn't maybe that was a reverend that was never named. Okay. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. Uh, I could have done some research, but Meh. why start now? <laughs> uh there's a lot of news about a bird boy on the radio, but that doesn't really come into play this issue. I think it does in the next one. Uh Sam really wants to impress Lila. But she doesn't realize he doesn't realize that she's fine with him the way he is, but he feels really stupid at this party and there's some Aliens at the party who want Lila's help to steal some stuff. Uh, they give Cannonball some barbiturates to so that he'll feel cool. And he's like, oh, but, but I'll try those. Well, at first he's like, I don't want to do drugs. And then the guys are like, but you'll feel cool, man. And Cannonball's like, I do want to feel cool. Um, the barbiturates would have killed a normal human being. But uh, because Cannonball is a mutant, they don't kill him. 
he starts hallucinating and he leaves the party and then the aliens fly him away to kill him on a garbage barge. Mm. Uh, he wakes up and fights. Uh, luckily, oh, they, they explain the, uh, the barbiturates not killing him as because of uh, Xavier's mind training. Okay. Okay. It's a nice side effect of protecting your mind. Sure. You can you can ha- better handle drugs. <laughs> so the rest of the mutants uh, follow and they fight. They find Sam and the aliens fighting on the garbage barge, and then Lila Shanene shows up and she helps. They they and they they capture the aliens and they send them to limbo as punishment uh so that things will torture them and then they just kind of leave it there I, I wonder if these people will ever come back uh and moral of the story don't take drugs because it's stupid drugs are bad <laughs> yeah sam feels really dumb i also read alpha flight 50 which i'm gonna briefly mention just because uh for one thing it's inked by wills portacio oh i've who, heard of him. i don't believe we've uh We've talked about him yet. I, I don't think we have. He's he's important coming up. Yeah. Um, and then Alpha Flight returns to the uh, the place where they fought the X Men that that city in northern Quebec, and uh, we learn that North Star and Aurora's mother was an elf. And as far as I can tell, they're not actually mutants, but I'm sure that'll get retconned. Probably. So father was a human, mother was an elf. Did you know that the first person to drop Logan's name was a leprechaun? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We covered that on this episode. I, I just bring it up. Yeah. I mean, elves and leprechauns. Just, you know, that was more for is our this, listeners that, that are new to the podcast. Is this Jeremy bringing up random old episode things? Yeah. Is this a new segment of the show? <laughs> right. I like it. Yeah. Do you remember Kassar? Kassar. <laughs> okay. How can I forget Kassar? He's my favorite. I'm just checking. You know, yeah, I'm just making sure you're okay. Well, that sounds very exciting. It was not a good good uh, week for uh, supplemental comics. <laughs> no, but anyways, yeah. Next next week's going to be amazing. Yeah, I just got to have a positive outlook on podcasts. I bet at very least it'll be uncanny. <laughs> All right. Well, Adam, do you got anything else to add to this one? No. Take her away. All right. Then. Until next time. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>